My junior year of high school, I was in a trigonometry class, and about this time of year, I recall us genuinely struggling as a class. But if there's always one solace in math class, it is that there is some kind of fundamental, reliable equation at work, right? Two plus two equals four. Cosine, sine, and tangent. Y'all have rules, and if I figure these out, we can make this all make sense. That's part, about, part of what we love about portions of the Bible, right? Like Proverbs. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty only comes to poverty. There is a real comfort to be had from solid, predictable life equations. The problem always emerges when the equation doesn't add up, when it, when it doesn't go the way it's supposed to go. In our struggling trigonometry class, we had a handful of, of folks who were struggling because they weren't trying. They weren't attentive. And we had an old school, to, school teacher, Mr. Russell, who often wore one of those short sleeve yellow button-down shirts with pencils and a ruler and a compass in his pocket right here, just so. Okay, new rule, he said one day. When we take a quiz, the lowest score in the class will be the score that everybody gets. Now, I was not good at math. I did not care for math, but never had my hand raised so fast in that class. Bobby, you'd like to say something. And I spoke on behalf of the class and made a clear-cut argument for why this is unfair, that some of us are trying really hard, and clearly this can't be the way that our individual grades land on our individual report card. My work plus my effort cannot equal someone else's grade, and surely someone with a pocket like that can get that kind of equation. Bobby, you've spoken eloquently, very rational argument. The answer is no. Have you ever felt deeply that you're right? You know you're right. And somehow the equation's not working. Those moments, small and silly, large and significant, all of them are, are, are perhaps but a, a glimpse of Job's most fundamental predicament. Job, you may recall his story in broad brushstrokes. He's a righteous man. He fears the Lord. He's a man of wealth. And one day, enemy forces come and take all of Job's oxen and donkeys and, and kill some of Job's servants, all while a fire is breaking out. And that kills some more servants and some sheep. And one fell swoop. Lives are lost. He loses his business. That same day, a great wind strikes the house and kills all of Job's children. Then Job himself contracts leprosy. Here's a good man, loses all his wealth. Here's a good man, loses all of his servants, most of his family. Here's a good man, becomes painfully ill. Worse, you may recall, people, some of his friends, they start to blame him. They wonder what secret sin must exist uh, for this judgment to be upon him because they know the equation and bad things don't happen to good people. Job himself, if you read through the book of Job, he spends chapter after chapter venting, despairing, lamenting because he longs for the math to add up. Right? Good things 
happen to good people. And if they don't, they get justice. It gets rectified. Job wants people to get what they deserve, especially himself, because he knows he's innocent. We're given that fact at the outset of his story. And he especially wants to get all of this before God in a courtroom setting. In fact, each passing chapter in the book of Job, Job is thinking of ways he can pack the court in his favor. Pack the court with all the evidence and all the voices strong enough to make readily clear it is God who's guilty of wrongdoing and Job who is innocent. Today's passage, Job, he starts to see, feel resigned that he's never going to get his day in court, not, not while he's alive. And so he comes up with some other dreams. He dreams of, of having his side of the story engraved in stone. And it seems what he wants uh, in our verses is, is to have it engraved in stone and then etched with lead so that when the sun shines onto the stone, the, the truth actually glistens for everyone who walks by. Talk about being certain you're right. If I can't have a court in my lifetime, give me the court of public opinion for all to see for generations. Then Job shifts again about how he might be vindicated when he dies. One translation puts it this way of our part of our scripture. But I know that my champion lives and that he will rise the last day and speak for me on earth, even after my skin has thus been stripped from me. A champion, a kinsman, a redeemer was the closest next of kin in that society who would stand up for the rights and the legacy of the deceased. It's a word that, that, that did also and could also refer to God, but it does seem in this particular context, Job is most likely imagining his literal next of kin who will stand up for, again, legal language. The imagery here is of a courtroom where he will finally be championed. Because that is, that's the fundamental place where we decide right from wrong. Guilt from innocence. Vindication from condemnation, right? In our days, the courts get a lot of attention. There are so many significant society-shaping issues that press upon our hopes and fears as we navigate our nation, our locality, and because this matters so significantly and, 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 and that it's important that these things are decided rightly, we've seen voting blocks work hard to ensure they are in positions of power to appoint judges. We've seen advocacy for adding judges to the Supreme Court. We've seen intensely heated debate over anyone nominated to the Supreme Court. Yeah, the courts matter. And then we're quite aware of how the court of public opinion, especially in these days of social media, is so powerful for vindicating or condemning. And then within our own lives, our own pains, the real unfairnesses we carry, the illnesses, the untimely deaths, Sometimes we know something of this Job-esque longing for God to explain God's self. Because this is patently wrong. And whether it's on a national scale or a localized scale, 
a macro scale or it's a specific relationship, a specific event, a specific pain we carry. All of us, we do, we would like the comfort of the kind of math that does add up. We want justice to prevail. We want right to prevail. We want people to get what they deserve, especially ourselves in those particular moments where, quite frankly, we know we're in the right. For all the vast difference between Job's world and our world, I don't think it's an accident that both of us care deeply about the courtroom setting as our arbiter, the place where, where these hopes might be made concrete. Do you know... Do you remember what God finally says to Job when God actually responds? God doesn't say a word about all that Job has said or lamented. But you better believe God goes court packing. Chapters 38 to 41 of Job, uh, of, of Job God responds, and, and God doesn't need extra justices. God remains judge in the courtroom. But boy, does God start packing the courtroom with witnesses handpicked by God. And you and I, we know the witnesses that God calls forth. We've seen them, we've touched them, we've smelled them, we've heard them, we've tasted some of them. Here's a list of some of those God brings into this courtroom moment Job so desires. The sea, darkness and light, snow and hail, rain and desert, stars and grass, bears and cubs, lions and goats, ostriches and horses, oxen and eagles, to name a few. And what do they have to say? before this cry for justice, this cry for vindication, this cry for some explanation that makes the math work. You know, I met someone this past week who used to live in the San Diego area, and in this portion of this person's, uh, or in this conversation, they said, you know, that season of life, and I lived there, so, so many significant challenges, and I would drive to this overlook uh, before the ocean, and just sit and take it in about every other day. I said, wow, that, that frequently. And this person responded, I needed to see that there was a bigger plan, a bigger perspective, something bigger than me. And I knew I, I, I could start to trust God again in, in that space. And it was one thing to try to imagine the ocean, another to actually sit before it. it. It was the witness of creation that drew this person back to a living trust in God before significantly broken equations all around. Time and again, God brings before Job different aspects of creation. It says all kinds of different things we don't have time to unpack. But the most essential implied question Job, God gives to Job is this. Job, if I care for all of this in such a precise and awe-inspiring way, 
If I'm mindful of all of this at such an attentive level, such a care in ways you cannot nearly appreciate, is it possible that same care is being given to you? Is it possible there's more going on than you can see? That's still a hard word. You know, I'm mindful, speaking of creation, that fall is a season of dying, of decline, of decay. And while that reality takes a bit longer in this part of the country to show up, eventually, at some point, everywhere you look, there's a dying. And perhaps it's a season then that captures a very real sentiment for many of us on one front or another today. But then also fall is a season where declining and decay and death, that is what is visibly seen, right? Because fall is also very much the season of seeding. Countless seeds that will make for the brilliance of springtime. They're sown right now. Which is to say there is a coursing of life entirely hidden to the eye, unfolding right in the midst of the death and the decaying. Which honestly sounds a lot like the central hope we have in Jesus Christ, who was given an entirely unjust trial. The math did not work put to death wrongfully as someone innocent who went to the tomb three days in the dark. And yet Scripture declares that it was precisely there upon the cross in the death itself that Jesus conquered the powers of sin and death. Precisely in the space of death, the work of of, of life coursing and three days later breaking ground. My Redeemer lives. Walking under leaves dying, walking on top of leaves dead. It draws me back to this idea that maybe truth is not reserved for only the courts and just the way we always imagine. Maybe we can see God's truth among the manifold witness God witnesses God brings before us every single day. I wonder if God in these fall days would have us join with Job and walk alongside some of those witnesses. You know, by the end of the tour that Job gets, Job's words suddenly become few. Surely I spoke things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And then he says that what he cried out for, back in our, first, our chapter 19, he finally has at the end. Now my eyes have seen you. Not I, I finally see how the equation works. I finally see the equation working. I have seen you. In these fall days, may we likewise be given that vision.
Amen.